It was an unexpected casualty of the coronavirus pandemic. Back in June last year, the announcement was made that the company who made Marmite was no longer going to be able to make its large jars of its sticky paste. This was because Marmite is made from a yeast extract, which is a byproduct of beer brewing. And brewers had stopped or slowed down the production because all the pubs and restaurants were all closed because of the pandemic. And that, so that meant that vital ingredient was in short supply. And some people were absolutely shocked at that news. This is what they tweeted. They said things like, this is an actual disaster in our house. Another people, another person said, I need Marmite like oxygen. And others complained, come on, haven't we suffered enough? As just when we thought 2020 couldn't get any worse. But as you might expect, for other people, they weren't bothered at all. In fact, one person tweeted, let's cancel Marmite. Horrible stuff. And this is the thing about Marmite. Since it was invented by accident in 1902 by a German scientist, this strange, savoury, salty, soy saucy substance has been dividing opinions. Its marketing slogan is this. You either love it or hate it. And this is something else. That, and the, Sorry, there is something else that divides opinion into two groups. And of course, this issue that we're going to talk about today is far more serious than Marmite. Last week we saw how the gospel unites people. It cuts across all the divisions in the world. Divisions of race or sex or age or money or education. And unites all believers into the body of Christ, into the church. And that is why Paul made the strong appeal for unity in this church in Corinth. He wanted them to stop dividing over their favourite celebrity leaders and instead live out the real unity that God had formed between them through their faith in Jesus Christ. But the gospel doesn't just unite people. It also divides people into two distinct groups. And these two groups have two distinct destinies. And what divides people into either group is how they respond to the cross of Jesus. So this morning we're going to read uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 31. Christ, the wisdom and power of God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the intelligence of the intelligence I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, 
God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by humans, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The first group of people in this passage are those who are heading for destruction. We read in verse 18 that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They were those who had failed to accept the message of the cross. They hadn't repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus. They hadn't been forgiven. They hadn't been adopted into God's family. And so they were lost outside of God's kingdom and heading to a lost eternity. And Paul gave two reasons here in this passage for why people responded like this. The first reason was that some people struggled over the weakness of the cross. The cross was, according to Paul in verse 23, a stumbling block to Jews. They couldn't get over it. It was scandalous to them. It was offensive. That was because Jews demand miraculous signs. They'd grown up reading the Old Testament about those who'd experienced God's power in miraculous ways. People like Abraham and Sarah who'd received a a son in their old age. Or Moses with the the plagues and the, the Red Sea crossing and manna in the desert. Or David in his defeat of Goliath. Or Elijah when he had fire coming down from heaven. Or Elisha when he healed Naaman of his leprosy. So when it came to the Messiah, the the Christ, the anointed king from God, they expected God's power to equally be seen in dramatic ways. So throughout Jesus' ministry, people asked him things like this. What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? They were looking for a Messiah who would come in like a conqueror. Who would defeat their enemies. Who would establish his kingdom and bring glory 
to the nation of Israel. And so a crucified Messiah was a scandalous idea. A man hanging on a cross in agony and shame was a picture of weakness, of failure, of defeat, of somebody who had been rejected by God. Because it said in Deuteronomy chapter 21 and 23 that anyone who is hung in a tree is under God's curse. So how could anybody follow somebody like that? And people still stumble over this today. They want a powerful God who will act supernaturally to give them what they want. Who will answer all their prayers with a miracle. And we as the church can be influenced by that too. The prosperity gospel that is becoming increasingly popular offers the the tempting possibility of miracles around every corner. Of a guarantee of health and wealth and happiness. But the thing is, the way of the cross is not like that. The way of the cross is not based on getting everything that we want. Instead, it's about dying to what we want. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Following Jesus does not guarantee an easy life or a lack of problems or freedom from pain. It doesn't promise that God will miraculously intervene at any moment that that we find ourselves in a situation when we're suffering or when we're finding things tough. That's not the promise of the gospel. But the promise does, the gospel does promise us life in all its fullness. That's because the cross is the power of God. As Paul said in verse 24, instead of defeat as it looked like to the Jews, the cross is actually God's greatest victory. This is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. On the cross, Jesus defeated sin and death and Satan. And he did this by becoming sin for us and paying the debt that we could never pay ourselves. And so on the cross is where our salvation is won. Where God's rescue plan was accomplished. So the message of the cross is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And so Paul can see this strange phrase in verse 25 of our reading. The weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. 
In a sense, Jesus hanging on a cross is God at his weakest. Ridiculed by enemies, writhing in pain, covered in blood and spit. Desperately trying to get his next breath. Suffering under the weight of the punishment that should have been ours. And yet, at that very moment, Jesus was accomplishing what nobody else could do. Do you know how to connect that one? Even with a lifetime of religious rules and regulations and rituals. Jesus was actually, at that moment, rescuing us from the kingdom of darkness and bringing us in to God's family. And that is why we can trust God today. Because no matter how dark or difficult it might get, no matter how weak we might be, the cross declares that God loves us and is committed to us and that he is able to accomplish his plan and purpose in our lives. Because God's power is made perfect in weakness. So the Jews struggled they struggled with the cross because it didn't fit into their ideas of God's power. But the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, they also struggled with the cross. Christ crucified was foolishness to Gentiles, as Paul says in verse 23 of our reading. That's because although Jews demanded miraculous signs, Greek, Greeks looked for wisdom. They were a culture of thinkers who loved to speculate on ideas. Maybe you remember that just before uh, visiting Corinth, uh, Paul was actually in Athens. And Acts chapter, 20, uh, Acts chapter 17 verse 21 tells us that all the Athenians and all the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. They just love to talk and debate and, and think about ideas. But to them, the cross was nonsense. It, it wasn't logical. Because their idea of God was someone who was utterly detached and remote. A God who suffers Especially a God who suffers on a cross. Just didn't make any sense to them. I think many people are like the Greeks today. They value things like human wisdom and education. They believe in science. They are convinced that through thinking and experimentation and technology, we are going to answer all of the questions in the universe. And so the conventional wisdom of today rejects God's word. The theory of evolution has, re has replaced a belief in a creator. Moral relativism has replaced God's standards of right and wrong. 
Self-fulfillment has replaced the call to, to live, to serve and to glorify God. And personal freedom and choice has replaced any kind of sense of a need for a saviour to save us from our sins. And as a result, so many people turn away from the message of Jesus. But this thinking in the world at large can also impact us as Christians. It can make us sometimes become quiet and try and shrink into the background, afraid of those who are going to ridicule us because we don't follow the wisdom of this world. But the question is today, can we really trust the experts? Can we trust human wisdom to be to get these things right? Can we trust what people think to answer all these questions? Because if we look back in history, we'll see that experts often get it wrong. Heavier than air flying machines are impossible, said the brilliant Lord Kelvin, who was president of the Royal Society in 1895. We don't like their sound, and guitar music is on its way out, said Decca Record Company, as they rejected the Beatles in 1962. There is no reason why anybody would want a computer in their home, said Ken Olson president of Digital Equipment Corporation in 1977. And everything that can be invented has been invented, said Charles H. Jewell, commissioner of the US Office of Patents in 1899. Experts repeatedly get it wrong. So are we so arrogant to think that we can't make the same mistake today? That the experts of today know exactly what they're talking about? Do we really think that in a hundred years time people won't look back at what we think and what we say and think it was a bit stupid and foolish? And so Paul challenged here three experts of his day. Verse 20, he said, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? And his challenge was that through all your thinking and studying and reasoning, have you come to know God in a personal way? And of course the answer was no. Verse 21, Paul said, through the world, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him. The wisdom of, of philosophers and scholars and wise people did not discover the truth about God. It did not enable them to find God. It did not bring them into a personal relationship with God. Instead, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. As Paul says in verse 21. 
People are not saved because they are highly intelligent or because they they go to university and get lots of education or because they're just uh, they've just got a really good brain a good way of thinking and they're really uh, well well uh, well taught instead people are saved and they're brought into the knowledge of God when they hear the gospel of Jesus and they believe in it for themselves And the gospel, the good news, is the message of the cross. This is what Paul preached. We preach Christ crucified, as he said in verse 23. Paul was not embarrassed to go into that cultured city of Corinth and tell them about a Jewish man hanging on a cross. Because even although it did not make sense to them, Paul knew that it was the wisdom of God. And he knew that the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. The cross may look like uh, to people as if God did not know what he was doing. But the cross is God's amazing mind-blowing, radical, wonderful plan of salvation. So folks, we don't need to be ashamed of the gospel today in 2021. We don't need to compromise on it. We don't need to try and alter it to make it fit with the wisdom of this age. We don't even, even need to reject the parts of God's plan that we can't understand, as if we are the standard of, of wisdom and correctness that God has to match. Instead, we can confidently hold on to the message of Christ crucified, that Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Sinners like you and like me. The perishing are those who think the cross is weak or foolish. But we've just celebrated that we are part of another group because we have a different attitude to the cross. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We are saved because we've trusted in Jesus. And in his death on the cross. We have put our faith in Christ crucified. But that doesn't give us any grounds for pride or for arrogance. As we saw at the start of this letter, we are among those whom God has called, as Paul says in verse 24 of our passage. And God has called us to himself, not because of anything that we have done. It's simply because God has chosen us. Three times in this passage, Paul says, God chose, God chose, he chose. Verse 27 and 28. Yes, we need to put our choice, we need to make a choice to put our faith in Jesus. But before this, 
And the reason for this is that he chose us in him before the creation of this world. Now I know that we might never understand this. We might not be able to get our head around this. But the reality is we can rejoice in this today. We can praise God for this. We can rest in this. Before this world was created, God chose us, individually chose us, you and me, to belong to himself. We are the church of God because we are the ones who have been chosen by God. And God chose us from all different kinds of backgrounds. Paul says in verse 24, God has called both Jews and Greeks. That's the diversity within the church that we were thinking about last week. But God didn't choose us because we were anything special. Look at verse 26. Think of you. Think of what you were when you were called, Paul says to this church. Not many of you were wise by no by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Now he says not many and not not any. Because there were some people, some prominent people in the church in Corinth. People like Crispus, who was the former ruler of the synagogue in Corinth. Or people like Erastus, who was the city's director of public works. But most of the people in this church did not have those educational or social or religious credentials. They were not the movers and shakers in that society. And God continues to choose mainly the nobodies. In this world's eyes. That's because we're not nobodies to him. No one is insignificant to God. Whatever our background, whatever our experience, whatever our position, whatever our intelligence, God loves us all the same. God does not show favoritism. So we don't need to worry. We may not be loved by God because we're not like other people. We're not, we don't feel good enough or important enough. That doesn't matter. God loves us. But this is also a challenge to our pride. Look at verse 27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God chooses ordinary, everyday people to belong to him. And he does this to expose the empty arrogance, (coughs) excuse me, of those who think that they are somebody because of their achievements or because of their ability or because of their background 
or because of their status. He elevates the lowest people of this world so that nobody would ever, can ever boast that they have made it on their own. So we can only be part of God's church by God's grace. Verse 30 says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. It's because of him, as in God, because it's not because of us. It's not something that we attained. It's not something that we worked for. It's not something that we sought after and and, and discovered and, and received because we worked really hard to get it. Rather, it's simply an undeserved gift of God's love. And what a gift it is. Look at verse 30 again. If we have put our faith in Jesus, then we are in him. And he has become for us wisdom from God. Our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Jesus is our righteousness. So our past has been dealt with. We've been justified, declared right in God's sight. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. But he's also our holiness. So our present has been transformed. We've been set apart to belong to God. To to serve him and to become more and more like Jesus. We are being saved from the power of sin. And he's also our redemption. We've been set free because Jesus paid the ransom price for our sins. <coughs> our future salvation is guaranteed and one day we'll be saved from the presence of sin. So no wonder Paul wrote at the end of this passage, verse 31, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Jews, they boasted about their religious heritage, but that was powerless to save them. The Greeks, they boasted about their wisdom and their culture, but that was foolish, as it couldn't transform them. But today we boast in Jesus, the one who loved us and gave himself to rescue us from our sin and bring us to himself. Christ, both the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. When it comes to the cross, we either love it or hate it. If we hate it, then it doesn't matter how powerful or wise or good we think we are. We're still guilty before God. And one day we'll be separated from him forever. But if we love it, and if we put our faith in Christ crucified, then it doesn't matter how weak 
or foolish we might feel. Because we are forgiven. We are sanctified. We have been redeemed. We are God's children. His chosen people. So I pray that each one of us will put our faith in the crucified Christ. And that we will together live in the joy and the freedom of our salvation. And confidently declare the message of the cross to this world. For God's glory and his honour. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is the son of God who became man. Who came to this earth, Lord. Who became fully human. Who lived a perfect life. Who who taught your truth perfectly. Who expressed your character perfectly. Who, who cared for people and loved people and expressed that wonderful compassion for people. And yet we thank you, Father, that he came to go to the cross. To die on that cross, to hang there, nailed to that piece of wood. Suffering under the, the weight of our sin. Taking upon himself the punishment that should have been ours. Paying for us so that we could be brought into your family. Father, we know that so many people think it's weak. So many people think it's foolish. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to see in the cross both the wisdom of God and the power of God. And that we will accept Jesus as our Saviour and our Lord. And we will live in the freedom and the joy of knowing that we are saved that our past has been dealt with, our present has been dealt with, and our future will be will be dealt with. We are we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. All because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And Lord, in that freedom and in that joy, we will be boldly declare this message, the message of Christ crucified to our generation. Whether we are ridiculed, whether we are condemned for it, whether we're rejected by it, because of it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be committed to the cross of Jesus, to share it with a lost world, and that we would see people come to know you as their own Saviour and Lord. Father, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.